All right. Well, we had a great time in Sunday school. We're looking forward to another great message. Earlier in the year when I was talking to, uh, to Brother Hamlin, he worked it out to be with us this time of year, made, it, made a time in his schedule for us. And I'm looking forward to the next few days, and I'm looking forward to this morning. And so I hope that your hearts are open to what God would speak to you about, and uh, we're glad to have him. He'll explain a little bit about himself, 40 years in evangelism. And so uh, we are honored to have him. And so why don't we give him a warm Pacific Baptist welcome as he comes. Open your Bibles, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. It is, again, a wonderful joy and blessing to be here at the Pacific Baptist Church in Long Beach, California. I've been looking forward for some time in coming, and I'm excited and elated to be here. As I made mention in the Sunday School Hour, let me reiterate that God is in the revival business. And what he's done in the past and on the pages of the Bible, he's interested in doing in the present. We don't want just another meeting. We don't want just another series of services. But we're preaching and we're praying and we're pushing for revival. If you're a member of the Pacific Baptist Church, I trust that you've already wiped your calendar clean and you're planning to be in each and every service. This afternoon at 5 o'clock and then Monday night and Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. If you are a member of the Pacific Baptist Church, I'll be quick to tell you that your place these days is not in front of a television set but in front of a fundamental pulpit. Uh, I hope that your calendar is just wiped clean and everything can wait till Wednesday. I don't know if you're planning on robbing a bank, if you're planning on shooting somebody, if you're planning on backsliding. <laughs> just wait till Wednesday. Don't let anything stand in your way of being in the revival meeting. I've enjoyed uh, the uh, time of fellowship already that I've had with your good pastor and my new friend, Brother uh, Steve Myers, and I just sense uh, a kindred spirit. I believe that we're on the same page, and that is a Bible page. So I'm just excited and elated to be here and looking forward to what the Lord's going to do in these days, these days that have been set aside for revival. I don't often announce, Brother Myers, what I preach, what I'm going to preach before I preach it, but I feel strangely impressed to announce that uh, this afternoon in the five o'clock hour, I'll be preaching on the subject, my prayer for a prodigal nation. You don't want to miss the service this afternoon. My prayer for a prodigal nation. In fact, if I had to... Uh, skip a service, I wouldn't even be here this morning. I wouldn't. i just come this afternoon. But you're here, so you might as well go ahead and stay. And so I would encourage you to be back this afternoon in the five o'clock hour for the message, my prayer for a prodigal nation. I so appreciate the choir and the ladies group and our brother who sang just a moment ago. Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. Seven, and I'll begin reading in verse number uh, 33 
through verse number 36 where we find the text of the message. Gospel of Matthew chapter 27 beginning with verse number 33 through verse number 36. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the word of God. Gospel of Matthew chapter 27 beginning at verse number 33 through verse number 36. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he tasted thereof, he would not drink. Verse number 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Please look back with me at verse number 35. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, and... Verse number 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. There are two words in this verse that I've underlined in my Bible, and you may want to underscore in yours. They're the two words, casting lots. You see them. There they are, casting lots. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, playing games at Golgotha. Huh. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk, to preach the word of God. If in my heart I want to be a blessing, but the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts this morning, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Give us fresh, warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from this morning. And Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And you may be seated. The scriptures are filled with countless sobering, stirring, and even soul 
shaking scenes. On one page, a person will see man at his best. Well, on another page, they will sense man at his worst. But still, on every page, they'll spot God at his greatest. No scene in all of the Holy Writ pulls the curtain back on the wickedness of man's sin-soaked soul like the contest on Calvary. Playing games at Golgotha. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, we find the trial and the crucifixion of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this. The betrayer of Jesus, his turmoil, verses 1 through 10. The judge of Jesus, his troubles, verses 11 through 26. The death of Jesus, his triumph, verses 27 through 56. And then the burial of Jesus, his tomb, verses 57 through 66. It is well the apostle Matthew is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with the death of Jesus, his triumph, that a person is shocked to witness a game, Brother Myers, being played at Golgotha. Verse 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments, don't miss it, casting lots. This, of course, is the New Testament fulfillment of an Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy concerning Christ from Psalm 22, 18. All four of the gospel writers shine a bright light on the depraved demeanor of these Roman soldiers who had a contest at Calvary. We see it in our text of Matthew 27, 35. We see it in Mark 15, 24. We see it in Luke 23, 34. And we see it again in John 19, 24. All four of the gospel writers make mention of this contest at Calvary. Now, of course, you know that there are some, oh, facts uh, and features that one gospel writer will mention that another gospel writer will not mention. But here is one of only a handful of facts and features that all four, that all four, that all four of the gospel writers there tell us about. The casting of lots that is taking place here was uh, uh, making a chance uh, decision by using lots, uh, pebbles, uh, or straws that were thrown or drawn. Evangelist Oliver B. Green once penned about our text at the close of the victim 
of crucifixion belonged to his executioners. He went on to write, uh, according to John 19, 23 and 24, they divided uh, uh, there uh, the garments of Jesus into four parts, to every soldier apart. We know that there were more than four soldiers there, so these four men must have been officers of some rank. When they came to the coat of Jesus, uh, they saw that it was a very unusual garment. And then Oliver B. Green ties up his thought by writing, it was without seam and not wanting to tear it. The soldier said, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. So they gambled for the coat. Never forget. What happened at the foot of the old rugged cross then is tantamount to putting a roulette wheel at the altar of a fundamental gospel preaching independent Baptist church now. If you miss everything that I preached this morning, I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating what happened, what happened, what happened at the foot of the old rugged cross then is tantamount to putting a roulette wheel at the altar of a fundamental gospel preaching independent Baptist church now. Friend, uh, you and I, especially the unsaved, need to discover the games uh, that people play lost humanity at Golgotha. You see, they played a game then in Matthew chapter 27, and they're still playing a game now, a contest at Calvary. Now quickly this morning, let's notice at least three games that lost humanity still is playing at the cross, playing games at Golgotha. Number one, when you disrespect the where to be saved. Hebrews 10, 29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the spirit of grace. A major contest that takes place at Calvary today is when you disrespect the where to be saved. In Hebrews 10, 29, the apostle Paul tells us that a person is on the most dangerous piece of property that they've ever planted their foot when they have a flippancy towards the third person of the Trinity. The word despite means to demonstrate disdain or disrespect towards. Brother Paul pulls no punches when dealing with those specific sins that will turn up the temperature in hell for all those who would dare trample underfoot the Son of God, treat the sacrifice of God as a cheap thing and turn their back on the Spirit of God. The one that's the most widely committed in this hour is and hath done despite under the spirit of grace, a.k.a. also known as turn your back on the Holy Ghost. This is so fraught with danger that when a person stands at the back door 
<coughs> of verse 29, they can see the front door of verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't miss this. Wherever the Holy Spirit, the high sheriff of heaven, confronts a sinner with the gospel, that space becomes a consecrated spot, so much so that you could put over it a church steeple. Some time ago, I was catching a flight out of Detroit to Atlanta late on a Saturday night. And as I was walking to my gate, I stopped at a coffee shop and I bought a cup of coffee. And as I was paying for that coffee, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out of my pocket what every Christian should carry on their person all the time, a gospel track. And I gave a young lady a gospel track and she looked at me, Brother Myers, took the track and said, sir, I have to be very honest with you. Just as soon as you walk away, I'm gonna take that gospel track and throw it in the garbage. Oh, she was not insulting me. She was not offending me. She was not making me feel bad, though it made me feel terrible as much as she was insulting, oh my, the Holy Ghost. When she said that, the blood in my veins ran cold because again, she was not being offensive to me as much as she was being offensive to the Spirit of God. The hymn writer, William P. McKay, understood this truth extremely well when he wrote in that classic revival melody, revival again. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Friend, you and I need to discover that lost humanity plays a game at Golgotha when they disrespect the where to be saved. The Bible says in John 16, 8, and when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Newsflash. If you turn a deaf ear to a Bible sermon, look the other way from a gospel track or brush aside, oh my, the burden witness, sir, of a child of God, you have just highly insulted the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's a game that lost humanity plays at Calcutta and the game that they're playing just as they played a game then, they're still playing now and that is when you disrespect the where to be saved. In April of 2019, a U.S. citizen, a tourist, uh, there was charged with trying to steal a metal part of rail tracks at Auschwitz, a crime that can carry a prison sentence up to 10 years. Auschwitz-Birkenauer was a concentration and extermination camp operated by Nazi Germany during World War II and the Holocaust. Over a million people, primarily Jews and Soviet prisoners of war, were killed at that site between 1940 and 1945, the Polish government declared it a memorial site in 1947 and the rail tracks where people were unloaded as a part of the memorial and museum. The railway tracks were brought from all over Europe 
and they all stopped inside the concentration camp, which the Nazis referred to as the end of the line. And somebody was so impertinent to the memory of over a million Holocaust victims that they wanted a piece of train track for their souvenir. But that doesn't even come close to the incredulous behavior of the tourist unbeliever who simply and sadly turns a cold shoulder to the third person of the Trinity who's dealing with them to be saved. Oh, you're playing a game. You're playing a game. You're playing a game at Calcutta when you did disrespect the where to be saved. Number two, let me hasten. When you delay the when to be saved. Second Corinthians 6, 2, behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. A major contest that takes place at Calvary today is when you delay the when to be saved. In 2 Corinthians 6-2, the apostle Paul tells us that a person can look at God's timepiece and see the hour, minute, and second to experience the free and forever pardon of sin is at this very moment. Procrastination has been called a thief the thief of time, but it's also the swindler of salvation, the pickpocket of pardon and the marauder of mercy. Friend, you and I must discover that lost humanity plays games at Calgotha when they delay the win to be saved. Please look at the text of Matthew 27 and 35, casting lots. Matthew 27 and 35, casting lots. Matthew 27 and 35, casting lots. You see what they did is they played a game then and people, oh my, are still playing a game now and you're playing a game at Calgotha when you there delay the win to be saved. There's several serious reasons why An individual should never hesitate in receiving the Savior. It may shock you, stun you, and even surprise you, but first of all, the Scripture's warning. Hebrews 3.15, wow, it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You see a serious reason why an individual should never hesitate in receiving the Savior is the Scripture's warning. The Bible is an inspired and preserved red warning flag to keep people from putting off being saved. God in his goodness and grace, oh my, is waving before you right now this red warning flag, this red warning flag. God in his goodness and grace is waving before you right now this red warning flag that you wouldn't put off being saved. There is uh, the scripture's warning. Secondly, the season's waning. Jeremiah 8.20, the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we're not saved. 
a serious reason why an individual should never hesitate in receiving the Savior is the seasons waning. The seasons of the year are just like the seasons of life and soon they'll pass so rapidly that the weight of them will press you into a Christless eternity. On a strictly personal note, it seems like just yesterday I was getting saved. It seems like just yesterday I was surrendering to preach. It seems like just yesterday I was starting on the revival road, was saved in 1979, surrendered to preach two weeks after being saved and started on the revival road within 30 days of being saved and surrendering to preach. I was holding revival meetings when I was in high school. It seems like just yesterday, Mrs. Hamblin and I were high school sweethearts. It seems like just yesterday that I was playing basketball for the inner city Christian high school. I was the point guard. And it seems like just yesterday that in our last home game at halftime, Brother Myers, they retired my number, number 11. They put it in the rafters. That's not true, but... It's my story and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> you know, the older you get, the greater you were. It just seems like yesterday that I was saved and surrendered to preach and starting on the revival road and Mrs. Hamlin and I were high school sweethearts and now we've been married 40 plus years and I've been in evangelism 44 years and uh, you see the years of our life, oh my, I like the spokes uh, of a spinning wheel. Someone said that we're born uh, with our cradle scratching our headstone. The season's waning. Thirdly, the Spirit's wooing. Revelation twenty two seventeen, and the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is the thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. A serious reason why an individual should never hesitate in receiving the Savior is the Spirit's wooing. The Holy Spirit never moves upon a lost soul to be saved later, but to be saved now. All oh, that every person that was in this service and watching by way of internet would realize the serious reasons why an individual should never hesitate in receiving the Savior, the Scripture's warning, the season's waning, the Spirit's wooing. In the United Kingdom, near Windsor Castle is a centuries-old cemetery. Somewhere in that garden of remembrance is a gravestone with this attention arresting inscription, pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. Listen closely, sinner. Your season of life may soon be over, so don't play games like the soldiers at Calvary in thinking that you can be saved some later time. You're playing a game. You're playing a game. You're playing a game at Calcutta when you delay the when to be saved. And then number three, and last of all, my time is gone. 
And I'm out like Joe Biden in a legitimate election. <laughs> I am John Hamlin and I approve of this message. Not only number one, uh, when you disrespect the where to be saved, uh, and number two, uh, when you uh, delay the when to be saved, but number three and last of all, when you dilute uh, the what to be saved. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Uh, uh, a major contest that takes place at Calvary today is when you dilute the what to be saved. That word what simply means uh, the thing that is used to specify something. In Ephesians 2, 13, the apostle Paul tells us that a person uh, uh, moves uh, uh, there from alienation to adoption in God's family wholly and solely through the redemptive blood of Christ flowing freely from the cross. So in any church or any clergy attempts to add to the supreme sacrifice of the Savior by sneaking in to Bible salvation works, water, wafers, worry beads, you might know that as the rosary, or whatever they have with the help of every demon in the underworld weakened and watered down lost mankind's only way to make it to heaven. Oh, it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that prince of preachers that once said, morality may keep you out of jail but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep you out of hell. Friend, you and I need to discover that lost humanity plays games at Golgotha when they dilute the what to be saved. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22 and almost all things about the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Put this on the blackboard of your mind. The blood of Christ greater than. The blood of Christ greater than. Put this on the blackboard of your mind. The blood of Christ greater than the mathematician's symbol, a chevron, greater than the works, ways, rituals, religions, traditions, and teachings of man. In other words, uh, the blood of Christ uh, is greater than anything, and the blood of Christ uh, is greater than anyone. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And sir, ma'am, you're playing a game at Calcutta when you dilute the what to be saved. I'm closing with this. During the first World's Fair held in Chicago many years ago, there was an exhibit or an exposition, exposition called the Parliament of Religions. A preacher, uh, Brother Myers, who believed uh, uh, the Bible in Bible salvation, Dr. Joseph Cook, a friend of D.L. Moody, represented the fundamental uh, Christian faith one by one the representatives of the various world religions spoke in behalf of their beliefs. 
the brother uh, who knew Christ and his power to save all those who believed on him was the last to speak. He turned to English literature for his example and told the story of Lady Macbeth. She was the leading character in William Shakespeare's tragedy, Macbeth, who gorged her husband uh, there to committing regicide, uh, which is uh, uh, the killing of a king, after which she becomes the Queen of Scotland. I've got to interject that in that tragedy, William Shakespeare, William Shakespeare writes of the dreams of Lady Macbeth. And he talks about how Lady Macbeth would have these dreams and these nightmares. And in those dreams and nightmares, because she had pushed and prodded her husband to kill the king, there would be a speck of blood that would appear on her hand. And Lady Macbeth, William Shakespeare wrote, would say in those nightmares and dreams, all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. In conclusion, the great preacher Joseph Cook asked, gentlemen, does your religion have anything that will remove the spot of blood from Lady Macbeth's hand? One by one, the various men shook their heads Gentlemen, said Dr. Cook, the religion of Christ has the blood of Jesus Christ. God's son cleanseth us from all sin. First John 1, 7, when he finished that Bible verse, uh, a great choir in the balcony from D.L. Moody's church stood and they sang the hallelujah chorus and he shall reign forever. King of kings, Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when the last hallelujah had been finished, the preacher raised his head and all the representatives of the various other religions had filed out, had filed out, had filed out in the face of sin cleansing salvation like that. You say, preacher, what are you saying? What I'm trying to say is, it's the blood. What I'm trying to say is, it's the blood. What I'm trying to say is, it's the blood. If you miss hell and make it to heaven, it'll only be the blood of the crucified one. Look at the text, Matthew 27, 35, casting lots. Casting lots. Casting lots. Playing games at Golgotha. When you dilute the what to be saved. We have just seen from the pages of the Bible the contests that unbelievers are still having at the cross today. You say, well, preacher, I'm saved. I'm so glad that you are. And I can't play the game of uh, what they did at Calvary. That's true. But pardon me, believer, you can play a game that though it may not be as serious as the game they played, you still can play a game called playing church. And the problem with playing church is that you're not going to hell because you're saved, but because of an indifferent and because of a lazy, uh, can I go ahead and preach? Uh, because uh, of uh, a poor testimony, you can live the kind of Christian life uh, Monday through Saturday that would cause unbelievers to stumble over you and go straight to hell. Playing church. 
You know what revival is? Revival is when God's people stop playing church and go ahead and get real and go ahead and get genuine and go ahead, oh my, and get authentic and child of God. If you and I are lackadaisical and don't care about our testimony and you and I are indifferent, no, we can't play a game at Calcutta, but we can play church and somebody will stumble over us and go straight to hell. Playing games at Golgotha. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. And no one moving unless you're moving to an altar. I wonder with every head bowed and every eye closed who could lift their hand this morning and say, preacher, I know that I know that I know that I know if I were to die right now, heaven is my eternal home. Main floor, balcony, balcony, main floor. You'd lift your hand and say, preacher, I know that I'm saved. You'd lift it and leave it. Know that you're saved. Know that you're saved. Thank you, man. Put them down. You're here this morning, dear one, and you couldn't raise your hand, but you would lift it now. And by raising it, you'd say, I, I need to be saved. I need to trust Christ. Preacher, I don't want to die and go to a devil's hell. Watch him by way of the internet. God in his goodness and grace, sir, ma'am, has given you this opportunity that you might leave darkness and meet the light of the world. Don't log off. Don't, don't jump off. Don't, don't walk away. Don't do it. God loves you. God wants to save you. And if you could see with a spiritual eye, you would see the nail-pierced hand of Jesus reaching for you. And you'll be saved and in simple childlike faith if you reach back. You're here this morning and you couldn't raise your hand, but you would lift it now and say, Preacher, I don't want to die and go to a devil's hell. I want to stop playing games at Calgotha. Right now, you'd lift your hand and say, pray for me. Couldn't raise it a moment ago. Main floor balcony. Couldn't raise it a moment ago, but I would lift it now. I need to be saved and I need to trust Christ. You'd lift your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. God bless you there, sir. I need an altar worker. Someone that needs to be saved. You're here and as a child of God, you'd lift your hand and say, preacher, no, I'm not, I'm not playing games at Golgotha. I'm not having a contest at the cross, but I've been playing church. And I don't want to wait for tonight. I, I don't want to wait for Monday night or Tuesday night. I just want to go ahead and do business with God this Sunday morning. And you'd lift your hand right now and say, I want the days of me playing church to be forever over. You'd lift your hand. God bless you there. Others, God bless you there. God bless you there. Up on the balcony, I want those days to be forever over. God bless you there that I've been playing church. God bless you over there. Altars are not made for bad people. Altars are made for people that had God do business with their heart. And when God has a preacher preach the Bible, that, that's God's way of speaking to you and I. And the invitation is our way of speaking back to what God has spoken to us about through his word. I pray this morning it won't be a one-way conversation. Oh, Brother Myers, as busy as God is, 
for him to take the time through the preaching of the Bible to speak to me. I never wanted to be a one-way conversation. I want to speak back to him at an altar. We stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for the kind attention of this audience. Lord, I realize there's souls in the balance and I realize there's brothers and sisters uh, that need to do business with God, members of the family of God. And Lord, there are people that need to join the church and need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism and need to become a part of this faith family. Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one to do exactly what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as the music's playing, we're in the invitation. Right now, would you step out and come? Playing games at Golgotha. Main floor, balcony, balcony, main floor. Oh, that right now, you just step out and make that decision God wants you to make.